Maudina Anua this morning. Um, good to see you. My name's Matt. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, Matt, I get to be married to Kelly. We live with four other humans uh, and whoever stays the night on the weekend. And yeah, we are from Tamahiri Ways. Currently, we live on site at St. Peter's. So somehow I became their chaplain at an Anglican school. Uh, so that's fun too. Um, so we might just try something which we do. We do chapels uh, each week, several times a week with our students. And if you have a liturgy sort of uh, history, you'll know this. So we're just going to do the greeting of the peace, if you would like. So I'm going to say to uh, each of you, the peace of the Lord be with you. And if you'd like to respond, if you're a Christian, no. If you'd like to respond, sorry, <laughs> that's not right. I don't say that to our young people. If you'd like to respond, you say, and also to you. Okay, so, and then what you could do is you could find someone take 15 seconds to do that. Okay, so ready? Friends, the peace of the Lord be with you. Awesome. Find someone to greet them with a greeting of the peace. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Um, so, hey, just uh, before we jump into our text today, um, for our family, our the last few years, I'll speak for myself, but it's been, this last few years has been meh. Meh? Is that a word? We've got so much to be grateful for. We've got amazing people in our lives. We've got a cool job. Uh, with what's going on in the world at the moment, we understand we're incredibly privileged and like just am- amazingly blessed. But it's been like a, felt like an eternal winter the last few years for us, just, just pressure and horrible stuff. And the only reason I tell you that is uh, just because we've been able to come and dip into the flow of your fuddy um, so often, and it's been such a blessing. Um, so genuinely just want to say thank you. It's, been, it's built our faith, it's kept our faith, and just to watch the nappy bags and the toddlers running around and other people supporting other things, just the lifeblood of this, um, this community is amazing and it's been such a blessing to our family. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, so I asked Aaron uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, is there any theme, anything you'd like to do? Uh, you know, you've been in and Aaron in his, you know when he kind of like half facts, half prophetic, ridiculously articulate, annoyingly, um, no, I do always speak every week, I'm just joking, uh, he just began to go, yeah, that we've been kind of the heart for it as the trajectory of the um, disciples and the, the, the church's declaration of faith and all, and I kind of lost him, if I'm honest, because I, only because there was one word that stuck out, and I'd just love us to just absorb that word this morning if we can, and it was the word um, confession, the confession, and, and I'm curious, oh, wow, yes, so what comes... Okay, what comes to mind for me, if I'm honest, before we will go to the text, every time, if I'm honest, is the song, every time. Yeah, see if you know. Anyway, so thanks. Okay, appreciate it. My question was about to be, what comes to mind for you when you consider confession? I, I wonder. Is it, do you have a picture of a confessional booth? You know, maybe a moment in a movie where someone is confessing to a priest. 
Perhaps for you it, it brings a feeling, I'm not sure, of something, actually a really tough feeling because of the last time you had to humble yourself and confess something. Maybe, maybe it was a horrible thing you did, like unforgivable, you know, like not put the toilet roll back for the next person to leave them stranded and you didn't confess. Maybe that's you and I hope you got right before communion uh, if that's you. Or maybe for you, your mind goes to the confessions of faith. Your mind goes to those, uh, those confessions that, that uh, give gravity to your faith. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. There's layers to confession, I guess. I'm just asking, have you noticed that? As we read our text today, I'm just really curious of the content of your current confession. If we, not, not so much what you should say, maybe not so much what you should confess and, and think you should confess, but if we're able to extract any filter and gather a synopsis of your internal conversation, I'm really curious about what would flow out right now, about your connection with Christ, your confession of Christ. So I've got Stace the Ace, it's my new name for you, Stace, I just wrote it down, to come and share uh, our text today. Actually, tonight at chapel, I've got Zane Capelli coming to speak, um, so that'll be interesting. That'll be awesome, I can't wait. Uh, Matthew 16, 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Thank you, that's fine. So um, one of the most famous confessions, right? We're going to just have a look at Simon Peter. Uh, very famous, I'm not sure if uh, Aaron covered this a couple of weeks ago, um, but Jesus has taken the disciples to a place they shouldn't be, if I can just say it that simply. Uh, where a rabbi certainly shouldn't be ministering. Caesarea Philippi was a gnarly place at that point in time. Uh, there are real f- a few symbolic kind of things I'd love to um, just share that add to the weight of leading up to uh, Simon Peter's confession. Um, so there was a significant cave at Caesarea Philippi. And quick quiz question is, what are caves predominantly formed in? Rocks. Thank you all. Hang on to that. Awesome. Uh, this was no ordinary cave, though. Uh, this cave was believed to lead to the underworld, to hell itself, where the gods, little g, lived. Uh, there was Baal, the fertility god, that was a big part of that, believed to control the weather patterns and, and crops and rain. Numerous temples, numerous shine, shrines that uh, were dedicated around that area. Uh, but the OG god, little g, of that place was Pan. Okay, so Pan was half human, half god, and a fertility god again. And, and he was almost the landlord of that area. 
of that cave system. So it seemed though that this was very deliberate of Jesus to bring his disciples there. Uh, Young men, I'm sure, were like, if my parents knew where you were taking me, Rabbi, this is not a good time. So beyond the significant surroundings, if you can picture that context, there's an internal landscape that's going on for the disciples too. I want to just remind us this uh, this morning. Equally important. So remember, for, for most Jews in the first century, their backdrop was this tension they lived with, with hope and heartache. So from, from the age that they could walk, and they were told that they were chosen by God, right? That they were blessed to be a blessing to other nations, to alert them to the reign of Yahweh. They, they were special, they were. Every synagogue, every Sabbath, faithfully they would hear passages read about their God and about how he had created them to be blessed, to be a blessing. But with each new day, you step out of that synagogue and see the opposite evidence before you. Occupation. Roman soldiers in your land. Your forefathers, they had returned many years before from exile in Babylon to continue the dream and have the temple rebuilt. And, but it's not long until you're under colonization again. Oppression. Rome, the superpower of that day, on your doorstep. This was the internal hope the internal heartache that these young Jewish men in training would carry. Because what were they looking for? Messiah. They were looking for a deliverer, someone to bring them salvation. Some would have thought also to wipe out their enemies, right? But they were looking, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously looking. 430 years they had the boots of their enemies on their necks oppressing their people. 430 years and then Jesus was born. This rabbi was born who invited them to follow, going from town to town, speaking with an authority that no one had ever seen. All the signs were there and were about to peer in where Jesus asks a really significant question in a really gnarly place. So the question, back to the text that Stacey read out. The question begins as kind of a general question, right? I'm sure that if you've been in church a long time, you've heard this many times. General question, hey, who are people saying that I am? Like, what are they saying about me? And we get some good church answers back, I guess. We, uh, you are uh, one of the famous prophets, Elijah, you know, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Okay. But then that general question turns into almost like this intimate kind of interrogation, I guess. Okay, okay, lads. Okay, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? What's your confession of me? And I always like to think there's a long pause. Uh, and then Simon Peter, he jumps out, doesn't he? He says, you're Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're not just a prophet. You're one of the prof- you, you are the, pro- uh, the one that the prophet's ached for, that my mum, my grandparents, my grandma were praying for. I think you're it. Jesus, well done, son of Jonah. You didn't get that from textbooks. You didn't get that from your parents' religion. You didn't get that from anywhere else. My father revealed that to you in a special way, which brought you to a confession. Okay, cool. Then Jesus says this, I tell you now, Peter, 
On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So can we see that this is a mic drop moment, right? For Jesus, in a big way, going uh, to this place with his disciples and engaging in this kind of bold prophetic act because of the context that they are standing in. On this rock, now there are different uh, ideas and uh, incredible thinkers and scholars uh, bring, I, I work at St. Peter's, right? Named after this act. There's, there's some uh, beautiful lineage of, what does he mean? Is it the ecclesia? Is it the church that he imagined? Like we're sitting here, there's a lot going on here. Our work today, I would love us just to sit in the symbolism for a second. On this rock, we have some caves right there dedicated to darkness. In the midst of what looks like the most God-forsaken place, in a season where the, the, these Christians that are the closest to Jesus at that moment are possibly scared, I'm reading into the text, I think that's fair, like pretty nervous, this is the kind of place, the kind of season where I'll establish my kingdom. I'm pretty hopeful for that kind of thing. When it looks horrible, when it looks like God is not active at all, hey, I want to build my church here. I think, I think the kingdom lives here. I think the kingdom's gaining land here. You are Messiah. So Peter's confession is iconic, I would say, right? It's insightful, it's bold, it's like he is, he's like got a great, uh, he's good now. We all think Peter is awesome. And at this point, I just want to just to share, because phrases here, uh, that I do believe in the power of confession. The need for creeds and confessions that are our riverbanks to guide the flow of our, of our faith so we don't end up in the weeds. I believe it. And I also believe, <laughs> uh, I was mulling over this text this week, as you should if you're preparing a text, uh, a sermon. And I must confess, which you see what I did there, that over my time, I've confessed a few things. And sometimes my practice hasn't matched what I believe. I don't know about you. Many times, usually about spring, I will call the kids around. Kids, this is a there will be no belly fat here by summer. I'm going to, like, with faith, with, you know, declare it. I'm going to, honey, don't buy me a size 34, you know, pant this, this summer. Buy me a size 32. It's going to happen. It doesn't happen. Confession is cake. Like, just silly things like that. But, but in all seriousness, I, I think that there are themes in my theology that I once believed, that I once declared, that I probably said from a microphone that I don't, wouldn't declare with such boldness anymore. So, again, to be clear, I'm not meaning. Uh, so, so I want to suggest that our confession will be on a continuum. And Christ actually expects that, I'm suggesting. Again, I'm not meaning to change up our creeds, our orthodoxy. I'm meaning that if we are to grow and transform in life and faith, what we say out of our mouth will mature too. So let's follow along with Simon and see what happens with a number of things he said. Next chapter, similar place, Caesarea Philippi. The, trans, uh, the, the uh, transfiguration, right? 
Matthew 17. Jesus is speaking, to, forgive me that I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. Uh, Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah in this epic, would have been mind-blowing moment, right? Special moment. What is Simon Peter's confession in that moment? Like he is just excited, full of faith. And what does he say? He's like, we need to like build some tents, some tabernacles. We need to submit this moment and maybe we'll get people to come and see it. And like he's faithful, right? Jesus ends up going, ah, no, and don't tell anyone this happened. So I'm just trying to show you that in his confession at that moment, it was full of faith, perhaps a little naive. Later down the track, um, Jesus is giving one of his toughest sermons. John chapter 6. Man, I don't know how I'd get my mind around it now, if not, um, if I'd heard it then. John chapter 6, he's saying to a whole crowd, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, speaking of the sun, that comes down from heaven so that, that one may eat of it and not die. Then he says these, these words, right? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there are heaps of the listeners like, okay, I'm out. And they start leaving. The disciples, the text say, begin grumbling and begin saying, this is too much. I love that Jesus always knows what's going on. That auntie or that mum that wasn't even looking at you but knows. Jesus understands, and what is this? He turns and says, are you going to go as well? Are you going to bail? So one of, at that point, what I love about Simon Peter and his different confessions over time, he said, what does he say? He says, where would we go? To whom would we go, Jesus? We've seen too much. You have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? But I don't know about you, and again, you can accuse me later through Fraser from pushing into the text here, but what I notice about his confession is he's not denying how hard the reality is and the moment is. I I just want to encourage you that you can still have a faithful, positive confession life without denying circumstances. I wonder if that's a mature balance. I wonder. Actually, I think we see this modelled in Genesis 1 from the very first utterance. The earth was formless and void. Right? The darkness covered the earth. Then God spoke. He confessed something into life. What did he say? Let there be light, and there was light. Watch this. If he had said what he saw, he would have got what he said. Darkness covered the earth. If he said what he had saw, he would have got what he had said. I think we see the divine here, not denying the reality, but speaking a preferred future. So I just want to show you my bipolarness and my journey with God that I believe in confession, but I also believe in not denying the reality of hard stuff and stuff that's really tough, but also believe in confession and believing what the Word of God says and trying to model how Jesus lived. I um, have been a little bit allergic, again, my confession, 
It's a positive Christian confession. I just have to say it. I grew up in it, and there's some beautiful confession that I'm grateful for for my elders. But I probably just sat under too many Pentecostal services where it caused a bit of damage or confusion. The amount of people that would go across the stage and, you know, on this day, God's going to repay uh, for all the years of the locusts have, you know, had stolen and it's going to be your moment of jubilee. I'm not trying to mock that. I'm just saying almost never would they say, by the way, this was a specific promise for a specific people for a specific time. And sometimes it got confused for people that were sitting in pain. Sometimes it was uh, well-meaning, but much of it seemed like peer-pressured positive affirmations proclaiming someone else's promises that God never told that person. I'm still trying to work through that, Vano. <laughs> um, so you'll see why. So, uh, 17 years old. Uh, my mum's well into her progress with her cancer. It's not looking good. We're praying. We are praying. She's a woman of faith. Right where it gets pretty bad. I mean, she is like, she's unrecognisable with the fluid that has, she's taken on with all the, uh, her medicine. And, and one of her sisters comes over and says, why don't we take an afternoon, CDs back in those days, let's make a CD for each one of your five kids, just saying, telling them who, they, who you think they are, loving them and giving them memories. And at least if you do pass, they've got something. Pretty good idea. The elders of the church found out said, heck no. Terrible sign of faith. You need to be only proclaiming positive confession. Again, well-meaning, but I think there's a balance, hey? I think there's a balance of, of declaring and also being realistic. So, although I am a little allergic to Christian, you know, cliche Christianese, I do believe in the power of words. So, um, Proverbs 18.21, let me show you. Um, I love that our wisdom tr- tradition was giving truth and indicating this well before pop psychology and the wisdom of Instagram reels, right? I love it. Listen to these words. Death and life are in the power of the, and the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So wise and like articulate. But I, I, I noticed something this week I just want to offer you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you notice it's declaring that death and life is not actually found in the actual circumstance, yet in the way we language the circumstance? Wow. It's not what we see, but what we say about what we see, eh? And this is my tension. Sometimes I've been growing up in spaces where we take that way too far, you know? One bride is getting the whole church to pray for her day that it won't rain. I'm all good for that. I'm a wedding celebrant. I get it. The family down the road are praying for it to rain so that they can pay their bills and not foreclose their farm. Um, I think there's balance. I hope you hear my heart. Um, words are powerful, right? I'm in for it. Uh, when I was a six-year-old, 
six, I think five or six, I, I remember the, the, these words. And I was an emotional wee, uh, wee fella, and Kelly and I were noticing, and our boy Marley's five, like, oh my goodness, that's me. Oh, good luck. Um, protect his heart, Lord. Um, anyway, I'm standing at the, I can see it, I'm standing at the kitchen, and I don't even know which parent it was, but my parents just got fed up, and they were great parents, but fed up and just said, Matt, shut up, you're a foghorn, quieten down. I don't know what a foghorn was, I was six, like, it's like a 50s kind of, I, the message, what message did I take? You are not wanted, you're too loud, you're, you know, sorry, your voice is too loud, it's irritating, you know, it's, it's not good. And I, I live with that. <clears throat> 20 years later, sitting at the house of G, <laughs> several hundred people, and it's one of those moments where amazing man, uh, Greg Burson, out of several hundred people, Matthew Martin, uh, uh, words along the way of, Matt, God wants to use your voice, okay? He's not done with you. Oh, by the way, I think he's like, you need to be like a foghorn for our nation, and, and you need to be like, it's a safe voice. It's helping people. Walk. So interesting how powerful words are, eh? I, I get that you get that. Um, so in the text this week, as we talk about confession, I'm also weighing the weight of my words. One more quick story. I was on staff at Gateway, and just, yeah, I was in my, we were having this pre-meeting, forgive me for this terrible attitude, but it was. I was in my 20s, and just, anyway. There were some prophets there, some big names, and I wanted to be prayed for by the big names. We're we're full room upstairs, Wendy, up on the top floor. Awesome guy, I want to hear. And this lady with the most timid voice, she was one of our children's worker, a volunteer, not even a paid staff member. (laughs) This is why I shouldn't say them when they're not in my notes. But she comes on, she puts her hand by my shoulder and says, So convicted, it was the most powerful and helpful thing. Obviously, it's personal for me because I talked a lot. I talk a lot. God wants to help you with an economy of words. And she wandered off. Words are powerful, hey. I'm sorry, let's finish with uh, Simon's trajectory of confession. We know at one point in Simon's journey, he confesses that he didn't associate with Jesus, right? Same Simon Peter. It's a big call. It's a big call. After being so close with Jesus, seeing miracles, having confessed him as Messiah. Remember? He's the one. We're like, you are Messiah. You know, all the other disciples, I wish (laughs) in hindsight I'd got it. What's Jesus' response to him on this confession? When he visits in the Sea of Galilee, does he scold him? I reckon he recalibrates his confession. Hey, um, it's about connection. Do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. You know, do you love me? I know there's agape and there's a whole missional thing. I get that for our time though. But he recalibrates his confession, helps him. Do you love me? Okay, well, let's get on with it. Um, to finish, what's really interesting, 
I'm really interested in the just people's marriages, actually, and I don't know how else to say it, in relationships. Um, what's incredibly interesting about the most recent research that's coming out about successful relationships, if you're like dying on the inside here, I get it. So, um, the ones that last the distance, take any relationship. The ones not only that last the distance but are enjoyed, big difference. The most common denominator is this stuff finding. They're not saying that it's about communication, though it's good, because our therapists have said that for decades, hey? It's not, they're not pointing toward being able to have great conflict resolution, because we're not all therapists. We can't navigate perfect in the heat of battle. Oh, I'm. They're not pointing to that anymore. Do you know what they're pointing to? Even down to the relationships that enjoy. Summer songs, funner. They point it directly to the quality of connection and friendship that the couple have built. Now, I, I, you're like, okay, show me the research. I get it. That's a whole, that's a whole other talk. But the people that have concentrated on connection and building relationship have now been able to confess what relationship they have. Sometimes our connect, if you've ever been worried about your confession, or what other people have said about the word of God, or sometimes, you know what it's good to just get back to? My connection with Christ curates my confession of Christ. Just concentrate on your connection. I believe in the creeds. We say it every week and I believe them in standing in front of our young people at our school. I just wanted to uh, commend you, people that are in community, because our confession is curated best in community. It's cheered on and challenged best in community. Hey, I just want to applaud you. Uh, if you're here and you've ever felt the tension of positive confession and then seeing my reality... Uh, Romans um, uh, 6 says, Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you, but God speaks your mother tongue. So I just wanted to pray that God would re-language us again if we needed to, if you needed to. And I um, wanted just to continue to encourage you, um, us as a church really, to continue to pursue confession. Wrestle with it but also just sit in the connection with Christ because I believe in a God that absolutely prioritizes connection and the closer we get, he will relanguage us. So um, thank you for your time. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you know every thought, every internal conversation that goes on in this room. And we're humbled by that, Lord, and you don't recoil from any of that. You lean in and you invite us to pursue connection. Lord, in these seasons to come when there are so many other competing voices, so much uh, um, pop psychology and wisdom out there, we long for your word. We long to be in families and friendships and community that are grounded and held by your word. Yet we want to know the wisdom too of 
understanding the reality that is before many of us. Holy Spirit, continue to shape us and re-language us. Keep us humble and close to Christ. Um, bless this amazing crew today. Amen. Amen.